0: Today's scripture reading is from Jonah 4, 5 to 11. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals?
1: Thanks, Amy, for the reading of God's true word this morning. I know a lot of you know Amy, but in case you don't, she does a a lot around here. She's really kind of helped spearhead Operation Christmas Child that's been taking place the last couple weeks. She serves in different ways. She's a greeter. She works with uh, Hope of Africa. And just a quick update on Amy, she's beginning a new season in her life. She's going to be moving to the great state of Pennsylvania within the next couple weeks. And so... Um, we're all going to have a friend in Pennsylvania with Amy being there. Yeah, thanks, Amy, for all you do. Love you. We're going to miss you. Make sure you lift her up in prayer if you would. And hey, my name's Paul. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. It's kind of a semi warm welcome, I guess. I'll take it. What do you do? Uh, and welcome to our church family joining us online. Also, a special welcome if this is your first weekend with us. So glad you're here. I want to give you a little update about what's been going on in my life, if I could, what's been going on in my world over the last several weeks, really, the last couple months. I was driving back from a hunting trip in late September in my beloved 92 Dodge Ram. It's the 92 Dodge Ram that I know many of you have grown to love as well. (laughs) It's been part of sermon illustrations. It's been up on the big screen it was even part of the Christmas Eve series or service last year. You may remember it was parked out front, and we strategically had a deer spread across the front of it so that you could take your Christmas Eve pictures with it. And here's a picture that we took, my family and I, with that deer. And I know many of you took the opportunity last last year to take your picture with that, and you probably printed those pictures. I'm sure they're displayed in frames proudly on the walls of your homes, and you look at it every day. I'm sure that's the case. Maybe you're even going to use that picture from last year on your Christmas card this year. So I felt compelled to give you a little update about the 92 Dodge Ram, because, you know, when I was coming back from that trip, it began to squeal. And... uh, I suspected that maybe the clutch was going out on it, and so I limped back home, and a few days later, I took it to the mechanic, and my worst fear, my suspicion was correct. The mechanic said, yes, the clutch is gone, along with a myriad of other problems with this thing. It's going to cost you thousands of dollars just to make it operable and safe to drive again, Paul. And then they said, in addition to that, you could sink all kinds of money into it, and your engine is on its last legs. It's about ready to blow up. You know, basically what the mechanic said to me is, Paul, the 92 Dodge is dead. I know. I think in Germany, they would say the 92 Dodge is kaput. It's kaput. So I had to make the very difficult decision, as Elsa would say in the movie Frozen, to let it go. To let it go. Difficult decision because I've had the Dodge Ram for longer than we've had kids. I mean, here's a picture of it from about 15 years ago. You can see how, how great that Dodge Ram looks in the background. What condition? Well, there was some random kid that got in the photo. That was supposed to be of the truck. <laughs> that, that random kid is my daughter, Michaela. She got back last night. I didn't even get a chance to see her. She got in late from college. She's here this morning. I love you. I do love you more than the truck. Promise. But I do want to let you know, here's... Here's what the Dodge Ram looks like today. (laughs) And in case you're wondering, in case you can't tell because it's being crushed, it's the one on the top. And so today the problem we're dealing with is dead trucks and dead plants. Dead trucks and dead plants. So would you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4? We're going to look at verses 5 through 11, what Amy read a little earlier. And we're going to unpack this problem. Why is having dead trucks and dead plants such a problem, well, that's what we're going to wrestle with today. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Oh, Lord, thank you uh, that we can come in your house and worship you. Thanks that we can have fun. Thanks that you've given us a sense of humor. But thank you for the seriousness of your word and the truth it is for our lives and daily living. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak through your word. We come here today as your people, desperately in need to hear a word from you. Speak to us if you would. Jesus, your king, this is your church, and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the beginning here going through observations. I trust you did that this past week. We're in our final week of Jonah, and it's been challenging. It's been encouraging. It's been been great. But I'm not going to go through the observations. There's a few listed in your worship guide. We'll talk about them as we go along, but I want to give you a little refresher to set the stage for this morning around what we talked about last week. Lonnie gave a great message. She went through verses 1 through 4 in chapter 4, and there we see that Jonah is angry. He's hot mad, and for the first time in the book of Jonah, we get with abundant clarity why Jonah is so angry. He's angry because He understands the attributes of God. We have a God who's full of compassion, mercy, abounding in steadfast love. We have a God who's willing to relent to all who repent. And you know what? Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to experience any of that, so he's ticked off. He's hot mad. And the final thing we see God ask Jonah there in verse 4, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah. Jonah, is it right for you to be? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, and that's where we pick up this week in verse 5. And we see Jonah's response, don't we? No. He doesn't say anything because he can't say anything. He doesn't have anything to say. You can't respond to that. He knows the answer. Now, I want you to, I want you to go on a little journey with me for here here for just a moment. And, and, and let's stop and pause before we really dig into today's verses because I think, I think, that the book of Jonah could end after verse 4. Right? I mean, think about this. Jonah did what he was supposed to do. After being given a second chance, he finally obeyed God. He went to Nineveh. He delivered the message that God gave him to de- deliver to the Ninevites. He did that. Mission accomplished. Here, after verse 4, he could have just packed his bags, gone back to Israel, but he doesn't. There is a verse 5, and we see in verse 5 that actually he goes and camps out east of the town, east of the city. He builds himself a little shelter, sits in its shade. And then at the end of verse 5, we see that he waits to see what's going to happen to the city. That's what he does. Now, I think if I were Jonah, I'd say, ah, I'm done, I'm out of here, going back to my people, right? Why does he not leave? Why does he stay? Why does he go camp out east of the city? Good question. Well, here's what I think. I believe that he knows if he goes back to his people, he goes back to his country people, his countrymen, well, he's going to be known as the prophet. He's that prophet. He's that guy that God used to give a second chance to the Ninevites. Think about it. He's that prophet. He's that guy that God used to allow the Ninevites to be forgiven and offered them a chance of repentance. He'd be that prophet. How would he be received? Would he be welcomed? What would they say about him? Right? I mean, he'd be that guy. He'd be that prophet that God used as an agent of his mercy towards Israel's enemies. I guess people are going to be real excited about him showing back up and being that guy, that prophet. So what's he do? He sticks around. He camps out east of the the city in a little shelter he makes for himself. And I can just picture him, right? He just pops some butter popcorn. He's got a large glass of sweet tea with ice and lemon in it, and he's ready to enjoy the show. (laughs) Because he's holding out hope. He's holding out hope that maybe, just maybe the Ninevites, their repentance wasn't all that genuine. Maybe God will change his mind and he'll level the place like he leveled Sodom and Gomorrah. So I think, I think Jonah's perched in his uh, shelter. He's got a couple marshmallow roasting sticks, and he's ready to roast some marshmallows, still holding out hope that the Ninevites themselves will roast. And the location of where he's at, I think there's some symbolism here because he's east of the city. And oftentimes in the Scriptures in the Bible, of course, of course east represents where the sun rises, but it also in the Bible we see that it re- represents new life a feeling of hopefulness where the west is the opposite. It's more of a picture of death, destruction, and hopelessness. Think about it. We've got Jonah east of the city hoping that Nineveh will be cooked as he faces west. He's there in his shelter, in this little shelter he made for himself. You know, the Hebrew word for shelter in this text is the word sukkah. And it means that it's a temporary shelter that he built out of rocks, clay, shrubs, maybe thatched together for the roof, anything that they could get their hands on, anything to get his hands on in that Near East, arid, dry, desert-like environment. And uh, just so you know, it's sukkah is how you pronounce that, not sukkah, just saying, okay? But... Jonah, he builds this sukkah, and, and for the Hebrew, the Jewish here or reader of this word, they most certainly would be reminded of a certain feast, a certain festival. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of booths or the Feast of Sukkahs. And it's a feast, it's a festival that the Israelites celebrate, they have uh, all the way from the, a long time ago in their history, because it's a feast where they commemorate and remember God's protection, and supplication for them as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And while they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, what they live in? The Succas, these little shelters. And if you want to know more about Succas, the, the festival of tabernacles, the booths of Succas, you ought to check it out. It's Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You can do that this week. I have those passages in your Bible. Knock yourself out. But that's the scene that's set. That's what we have taking place here in verse 5. Jonah's east of the city. He's hanging out in his sukkah. And everything seems to be going pretty well in his life at this point. Because what do we see in verse 6? Check it out. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. You know what else we see for the first time in this book? Jonah happy. He ain't been happy at all, has he? Not only is Jonah happy, I mean, we're told he's very happy. The literal translation for this is he's rejoicing with great joicing. I can see him doing the happy dance with this leafy plant right now, right? He's pretty excited about this thing. He's exceedingly happy about it. And I wonder if he's thinking, you know, God, for the first time, you've come around to my way of thinking and my way of doing things. I want to stop right here. And when I read this, I just couldn't help but see how much irony there is. It just oozes in these verses, because we have Jonah. He's sitting in the dust in this little shelter he made for himself called Asuka. He's exceedingly happy. He's rejoicing with great joy, with great joy, because God, in his mercy, provides this plant to give him a little shade to shade him from the hot sun. But just a short time before this, we find that the Ninevites, when they learn that they may get a second chance by God, that they may experience His mercy, what do they do? They make themselves uncomfortable. They put on sackcloth. They sit in the dust underneath the hot sun. And when Jonah learns about the Ninevites' repentance, when he sees that and that they may be given a second chance to receive the mercy of God, he's exceedingly angry about this. He's mad hot, or hot mad. Do you see the irony here? Come on. you got to love this. Jonah receives, really in a sense, the same mercy as the Ninevites, and he reacts the complete opposite way. What hypocrisy. What self-absorbed, self-centered hypocrisy, right? Come on, Jonah, what's the problem with you? What's the... (laughs) Glad we never have an issue with this self-centered hypocrisy, right? (laughs) That's called an uncomfortable laugh. This is convicting. This is convicting, isn't it? It's kind of back to that statement, grace for me, but none for thee. Well, Jonah's rejoicing with great, rejoicing is short-lived because we see in verse 7 that God provides a worm. I don't think this is any kind of worm, just any other old worm. I think this is like a grub on steroids because this grub attacks the leafy plant. And Jonah's leafy plant, it becomes a one-day-old weed because it's dead. It's kaput. It's dead like the 92 Dodge. On top of that, we see in verse 8, we see the word provided for the third time because God, in verse 8, provided a scorching east wind. It's the third time we see the word provided. First, God provided a leafy plant and then a worm, a grub on steroids, and here a scorching east wind. God provided, some translations will say that God appointed. What are we seeing here? It's a theme we've seen throughout Jonah. Our God is sovereign, meaning he's in control. It's peppered on the pages of Jonah, and it's certainly a part of these verses as well. He's in complete control, yet he doesn't completely control people. Everything in creation obeys him except one, Jonah. Because people have been given free will. And isn't it interesting, as his image bears, that we're the only thing in creation that more often than not, we don't accept his sovereignty. And yet, in these verses, we see God, in the depths of his mercy, use created things, non-human created things like the the leafy plant, even the bad things, the, the bad worm, the scorching east wind. He uses those things to do what? To pursue Jonah. Why? Because he loves him. He's not giving up on him. He wants to engage him in conversation. He wants to speak to him if Jonah listens. What a great God we serve. He pursues us that way, doesn't he? He wants to speak to us if only we would listen. He wants to engage us in conversation if we would speak to him, spend time with him. You see, it's really all just a matter of perspective, isn't it? It is. It's a perspective that, well, it seems like Jonah hasn't kind of got a hold of, at least not yet. So while Jonah's there in his sukkah waiting for Nineveh to burn... Well, this prophet, he gets a little bit of a sunburn, you could say. There's no SPF lo- lotion for him, no sunscreen for him. His plant is dead, the sun is roasting his head, and the east scorching wi- uh, wind is making him wish that he were dead. And this, this, this scorching east wind, this isn't just a little breeze. You ever opened your oven and all of a sudden that hot air just blasts you in the face? You ever experienced that? That's what this would be like. And not only that, but it would kick up dust, sand, dirt, as it went. If you've seen the movie Hidalgo, based on a true story, in that movie you see a scene where Hidalgo, uh, they're running from this kind of wind. And this kind of wind in that Mediterranean area is called a Sirocco wind. It's a Sirocco wind. It's dangerous. That's why they were running from it in Hidalgo. And it's a dangerous situation for Jonah. His life's on the line. And I think quite possibly he's suffering from heat stroke. And finally he cries out to God and this is what he says at the end of verse 8 it would be better for me to die than to live he's done he's ready he's ready to be this is i've had enough god he's ready to give up and you know this isn't the first time or really the only old testament prophet we see that's in this place in this condition it's not We see the the great prophet Elijah. Really, Elijah's story parallels in many ways the story of Jonah and what he went through. Because this great prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, we find him running from Jezebel, a lady who made a threat against his life. He takes off, he runs to Mount Horeb, he plants himself under a broom tree. Another piece of leafy foliage happening in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah. He plants himself there, and this is what he says to God, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. Elijah, prophet, called down fire. God used him for big things. These prophets, you see, they were people. They weren't perfect. I mean, if God only used perfect people, he wouldn't use people because there's no people that are perfect. Say that ten times and tell me how that goes. All right? This is encouraging because he can use any one of us if we allow him to, if we surrender to him. He can use us too. Well, now that God has Jonah engaged in conversation, we see in verse 9, well, God responds by asking Jonah a question. And the question in verse 9 is, almost identical to the question that we left off with last week at the end of verse 4, because God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? But he adds three words about the plant. Let's talk about the plant. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And something else happens for the first time in the book of Jonah. Jonah admits he's mad. Because he says in verse 9, it is. It is, God. It is right that I'm angry. He doesn't give a reason why he's right to be angry because there's no reason to give. It doesn't make any sense. But he says, yes, it's right for me to be angry. He just continues with his anger because he says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He, he's so mad about a dead plant that he says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And you know something? That's the final words out of Jonah's mouth. I mean, that's recorded in the Scriptures. The last thing we see him say in the Bible is, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. How would you like to be known as the prophet in the Bible whose final words are that? (laughs) That's Jonah. But you know, there's a lot we could say about Jonah. Jonah. But at least he's listening to God. We see that really throughout the book, right? He's listening to God. He's communicating with him. At least he responds to God. At least Jonah is honest. Maybe overdramatic. At least he's being sincere. You see, God already knows what's in each one of our hearts. He's completely omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows what's in there. No point in hiding it from him. He doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to live there. But the sooner we talk to him about it, the sooner we address it, the sooner we bring it to light by by talking to God about it, the sooner healing takes place. He knows what's in there. Jonah doesn't try to hide. At least not here. At least he's being honest, sincere, sincere. I, could, I think he's even, at some level, you could say he's, he's courageous. He went to Nineveh. You could even say probably that he's principled, at least at some level. Maybe his principles are flawed. God's still working on them. Because the final thing Jonah says is, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Think about that statement with me for just a moment. Think about this. So confident is Jonah in the depths of God's mercy, in the depths of God's grace, that he's ready to die in it. But he's not ready to live in a world where the Ninevites experience it. Let me say that again. So confident is Jonah in the depths of God's mercy, in the depths of God's grace, that he's ready to die in it. But he's still not ready to live in a world where the Ninevites experience it. No, he's not. And then we get to verse 10. In verse 10 and 11, well, we see the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks. And God's always going to get the final word, and He gets the final word here. The final word belongs to the Lord alone. And here in verse 10, the Lord begins to explain this object lesson that He's teaching Jonah about the plant. Jonah hasn't got it yet, so the Lord needs to explain it. We see in verse 10, the Lord says this. Check it out in your journals, your Bibles. He said, you have been concerned about this plant, about the plant, Jonah. <laughs> now, as God is saying that, I can, I, can, I can picture Jonah sulking out of his sukkah. And looking at the dead plant as the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord goes on to say in verse 10, You didn't do anything to make it grow. You didn't tend it. You didn't care for it. It sprang up one day and died the next. You're concerned with the wrong thing, Jonah. Jonah, you're pitying a one-day-old weed. And the Lord continues to speak to Jonah. In verse 11, he asks him a question. And this is how the book ends. The question from the Lord. He says this to Jonah, Should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? You see what God's doing here? It's almost like he's giving Jonah a picture of a large scale. And on one side of the scale, you got a dead plant. You got a one day old weed. And on the other side of the scale, you got the great city of Nineveh. And he says, Jonah, shouldn't I care about Nineveh? Shouldn't you care about 120,000 souls? 120,000 image bearers? Come on, a dead plant? 120,000 people. What do you think is more important? And it ends with even the animals, the cattle. Strange. But it's almost like God's saying, okay, take people off the plate, off the scale. Aren't a bunch of dumb animals more important than a dead plant? (laughs) You see what God's doing here? And isn't it beautiful? Brilliant. Shouldn't be surprising. It's God. The object lesson of a plant, a dead plant. He finds, check this out, he finds the one thing that finally makes Jonah happy. (laughs) He's happy about a plant, he's exceedingly happy. The one living thing that Jonah wants to show mercy, compassion towards. It's the one living thing that Jonah wants to see be cared for and kept alive. God says, let's talk about that. That's what's happening. Better yet, God says, let's talk about the dead plant. Because you're mad that the plant's dead and the Ninevites aren't. Right, Jonah? You're mad that I didn't do to the Ninevites what I did to the plant. Let's talk about that, Jonah. You see, God's still teaching Jonah that he's a God who is willing to relent to everyone who's willing to repent, he's not a God who shows favoritism you know what? He's a God who loves people. He's a God who loves his image bearers. It's the, same, it's the same message that God had to drive through Peter's head, the Apostle Peter. We talked about him a while ago. It took Peter a, a while to get a hold of this favoritism issue. And finally, the Apostle Peter does. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, and I love what Peter says when he finally gets it, because here's what he says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Good word, Peter. You got it. Good job, Peter. And you want to know where God really challenged Peter on this issue, where he spoke to him? Where he, he communicated to him about this favoritism issue in Joppa. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. Go check out Acts chapter 10. Come on, you gotta love this because we've talked about Joppa, right? Jonah goes there to flee from the presence of the Lord. And this is where Peter hears that he must not show favoritism because God doesn't. <laughs> Peter gets it. Does Jonah? Does, does, does Jonah get it by the end of this little book? Does he get it? We don't know. That bugs me. I don't know about you, but I want to know how the sto- I want to kind of know how Jonah's story ends. Don't you? How's he answer God? Where's verse twelve? We don't know. We don't know. Not sure. And you know what that does for me? That creates tension for me a little bit. Because I want to know. I want to know the answer. It creates tension for me. And there's one thing that I think we can all admit about the book of Jonah all over the place. It creates tension for us, doesn't it? I mean, it's a book full of tension. We've talked over and over about the sovereignty of God. He's in complete control, yet he doesn't completely control people. We've been given free will. We make choices that matter, that have consequences, and that have impact. And yet, we know that the Lord's will will be done. How does it all work? I have no idea. He's infinite. We're finite. That creates tension for me. Take the Assyrians, the Ninevites, the most brutal ruthless, violent people to ever walk the face of the earth. Yet God sends Jonah to them. Perhaps they even had attacked him when he lived in Israel. God sends Jonah to them to offer forgiveness to those evil, wicked, violent people. I don't think that's fair. I don't think they deserve it. That creates tension in me. You know, The depths of God's love surpasses human understanding and our understanding of fairness, doesn't it? That creates tension for me. The fact that our God is a God of second chances until he's not, that creates tension for me. The fact that evil exists in the world and I find myself crying out to God, God, why don't you just wipe them out so we can be done with them? These evil, violent people, not only do they exist, but they sometimes seem to thrive. I don't like that. Mercy for me, but not for them. They don't deserve it. Deliver me, but not them, God. That creates tension for me. Forgiveness sometimes creates tension for me. Sometimes I don't want to forgive people. Forgiveness is risky. It's hard. Yet we're called to be part of God's mission. Even if it doesn't always make sense. Even if we don't know what to say, we're still called to trust and obey. I find tension there. I find tension that I should consider giving people a second chance because I've been given a second chance. I find tension there. You see, the book of Jonah pushes the depths of God's grace. It pushes us to places that I don't want to go. Find tension there. Find tension there. More than a kid's story? Jonah? <laughs> uh-huh. More than just a little tale of a whale? Who better believe it is? Absolutely. And oh, how I wish I knew how it ended for Jonah. Did he go back to the Ninevites and live his life, the rest of his life with the Ninevites? Did he become friends with them, hang out with them, get in a small group with them? I mean, we know how it ends for the Ninevites. Eventually, they're destroyed by the Babylonians. But how does it end for Jonah? We don't know. Certainly, he must have finally said, God, forgive me for being so merciless. He must have finally said, God, forgive me for not extending grace to other people. He must have finally said, God, I get it. I get the dead plant. Thank you. Forgive me for valuing a dead plant over dead people, dying people, spiritually dead people. Oh, God, forgive me. I mean, seriously, Jonah, dead plant (laughs) must have got it seriously jonah seriously you know that 92 dodge ram (laughs) it sat down at the at the shop uh, for three to four weeks i got texts from a lot of you hey paul hey paulie i saw your truck down at the shop what's wrong with it and then i had to answer the question you know but it sat down there for three to four weeks Because I didn't want to let it go. And here's the hard truth, the hard, cold truth, being completely transparent. Over the 20-plus years that I owned that pickup, there were times I cared more for it than I cared for people. I'm sorry, Lord. I don't like to say it. It stings. I can't go saying, seriously, Jonah, seriously, Jonah, because it's seriously, Paul. Seriously, Paul. Paul. There's been times I've cared more for what's now a dead pickup than I've cared for dying and spiritually dead people, and it stings and it hurts to say it. And oh, Lord, I'm sorry for that. You know, it was just within the last couple of weeks. My wife Jen and I were outside, we're enjoying the weather, we're in a public place, but you know, we were there first. That was my spot. That was our spot. In my mind, I had that spot reserved. And you know what happened? How dare he, but somebody was walking their dogs. Come on, right? And he even stopped to talk to us. I think he was being friendly, being nice, but he stopped to chat. And I'm like, thinking to myself, dude, we were here first. What are you doing? (sighs) And in my own poly way, I mean, I didn't, I didn't swear at him. I didn't raise my voice, didn't do any of that. But in my own little Polly way, I made it quite clear to him that his presence really wasn't all that welcome. And I think he got it. And off he went. And you know what my wife, Janet, did? God's blessed me with a good woman, but she turns to me and goes like this, gives me two thumbs up. And she said, Good job, Pastor Paul. I needed to hear that. And I justified my behavior and how I acted in every single way that I possibly could. I had the right. That was my space. We were there first. Come on. And then it's almost like I heard clearly from the Lord, Paul, is it right for you to be angry about that? And you know what I said? It sure is, Lord. I was here first. I wasn't holding up a sign that said, come talk to me. Yes, it's right. Seriously, Paul? Seriously? The exact thing we've been studying in Jonah for the last eight weeks I had just done. The exact thing that I'm preaching about today I had just done. And I said, oh, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm sorry for caring more about my comfort, my space than your image bears, Lord, I am so sorry for caring more about dead trucks and dead plants than your people than dying and spiritually dead people. Oh, Lord, I am sorry that I'm more sometimes of a disciple of of Jonah than of your son Jesus. Here's what I've learned about the study of Jonah. This isn't about Jonah. It's about me. It's about me. I believe, I'm convinced, that the book of Jonah ends with a question because it's a question for me and it's a question for all of us. I believe there's no chapter 5 here because we're living in chapter 5 and here's the question. What will your chapter 5 say? What will my chapter 5 say? Will my chapter 5 look a little bit more like Jonah or will it look more like Jesus? Will I look more like a disciple of what we've seen of Jonah in this book or will I look more like Jesus? Because if we leave our study from Jonah, from this book, and we care more about dead trucks and dead plants, well, that looks more like Jonah than Jesus. If we leave our study from Jonah, and and we only give grace, mercy, and God's love to those we like, to those who look like us, who act like us, who think like us, who vote like us, that's Jonah, that's not Jesus. That's what chapter 5 will look like. If we leave our study of Jonah, and we won't forgive anybody unless it benefits us somehow, that's Jonah, that's not Jesus. That's what chapter 5 will look like. You see, God's word says this, for God so loved the world. We know this verse. He loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. He loves people. He loves his image bearers, including the Ninevites, including the Ninevites in our life. He loved the Ninevites in our life so much that he took their evil, our evil, upon himself and he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And when Jesus was on earth, you know what he said? I came for sick people, not healthy people. I came to call sinners to repentance, not the self-righteous. And then he told us to love our neighbors. can do that, but love your enemies too. Pray for those who persecute you. We don't get to pick and choose. Then Jesus drew a line in the sand and he said, Let he without sin cast the first stone. He hung on the cross and he cried out to his father, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. We're just a bunch of lost sheep. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of the living God, Jesus Christ died for us. That's the gospel of grace. That's the gospel of grace. And for those God calls, He pursues. And for those who accept His gospel of grace by placing our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we now become ambassadors of His grace. We are now called to extend His mercy and allow the world around us to experience His mercy, His grace, and His love through how we live. We don't get to pick and choose, that's the call. It's not our place to limit his grace. That's our call, and you know, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. Not on my own. I got too much Jonah in me. I need this church. I need you. I need the body of believers. I need the fellowship of the saints. I need to be in a small group where people know the real Paul, and when the Jonah pops out of me, I'm called on it. I need to be in God's word every single day. I need to be on my knees praying to him. I need a rhythm of repentance because I know I got way too much Jonah in me on any given day. None of us can do it on our own. It's only Christ in us. And the more we surrender to him and are filled with his spirit, his grace pours out of us. I need to every day surrender myself to him, my agenda to him the Jonah in me to him, and take up my cross and follow my Jesus. Every day we need to be reminded that his grace is enough for us, for me, because the minute we forget that we don't need his grace anymore, we're the first ones to not give it to others. And you know what that's called? That's called a religious person. And the world don't need any more religious people. The world's full of religious people already. What the world needs is fully surrendered disciples of Jesus who follow the king and exemplify the kingdom because his kingdom will come. His will will be done. We can be aligned with his will and part of his kingdom work or we can be overthrown by it. What's your chapter five going to say? Let's pray. (sighs) Thanks for Jonah. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth in it. Maybe you're here today, and your chapter 5 right now looks like, well, looks like a mess, a hot mess. Maybe you're here today, and your life's a train wreck, and you're ready to experience God's grace and his forgiveness. You can do that now by telling Jesus you're sorry. Sorry for the things you've done, you've said, you've thought, you participated in. Just... You could do that right now. Say to Jesus, tell him you're sorry. If you have no relationship with him, it's where it starts. Then thank him for taking your place on the cross. Thank him while we were sinners. He died for us. Thank him for that right now. And then finally... You can say to Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I want you to be my king. You can tell him that right now. And if you prayed that prayer today, ready to surrender to Jesus as your king, would you just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me. I want to celebrate and rejoice with you. All heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that, would you just slip up your hand? I see you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to know that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. It's a big step. Oh, God, thank you so much that you are a God whose depths of mercy and grace are beyond our understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for calling people from darkness to light, from death to life in you. We celebrate that today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Worship teams, back up, and while they sing, you can just stay seated. We're going to end Jonah. It's been a a journey, hasn't it? We're going to end our study, end our our day just reflecting on all that we've talked about throughout this series. And I would ask you to reflect on that question. What's your chapter 5 going to look like? What's it going to say? What will mine say? Will our chapter 5 say that we bandaged broken people, that we washed filthy, stinking feet? Will our chapter 5 say that we love one another, that we loved others well, that we reflected the love of Christ? Will our chapter 5 say, will it say that we went when he sent? So the challenge this week, this season, a couple. First this week, spend some time going through John. Look for those Jesus as light references as we start that next weekend. And also, love your neighbor. It's Thanksgiving week. We've got another opportunity to do that. Maybe this week, maybe sometime before Christmas, if you haven't got to know their names, learn their names, maybe take them a plate of cookies, have them over for dinner, maybe even invite them to church. That's what that map is all about. Imagine if we all loved our neighbors like Jesus told us to, I think we'd light up the city of Billings. So to conclude our study, I kind of took the first portion of verse 11 here in chapter 4 and rewrote it just a little bit. I changed a couple words, and they're in bold. But let's read this together. Would you join me? It's on the screen. And should we not have concern for the great city of Billings, in which there are more than 120,000 people? Should we not be concerned for the great city of Billings? I think we know the answer. And, you know, what will chapter 5 for faithy say? What will it say? Will it say that we're a church full of people who care more about dead trucks and dead plants? Oh, I hope not. But I hope by the grace of God, chapter five for faith, he says that we love God, we love people, and we're willing to share Jesus. I hope chapter five for faith, E church says that we love our neighbors. I hope it says that we love the city of Billings. Let's get out there and get it done this week. Love you guys. Have a great week.